T-shirts, palm branches, and angels. Stick around. Let's talk about it. Houston, we have a problem. Habemos papan. Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas, it's the Catholic Hack with Joe McLean. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of Welcome back to the Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean, and this is episode number 48. And this week, we challenged you to dive deep and tell us why the Catholic Bible has seven more books than our Protestant brothers and sisters. And you responded. So let's check out this week's challenge for the Catholic Hack t-shirt. Hi, Joe. This is Brad Nugent in Indianapolis. I wanted to take a stab at the uh, answering the questions you had about the uh, Protestant Catholic Bibles. Uh... As far as, I think these both will be answered in one. Uh, Why do Catholic Bibles have more books than Protestant Bibles? Well, in short, I believe Luther decided he wanted to omit a couple, several books due to the fact that they supported Catholic doctrine that he didn't didn't support. But as to where it came from and how we got ours and the Protestants got theirs was, uh, I think, in around the 4th century at the Sinaids of Hippo in 393 A.D., Carthage in 397 A.D., Carthage in 419 A.D. Uh, is when the Bible as we know it today was established. That's not when it was uh, officially canonized. I believe it was officially canonized. Uh, in, I'm reading off some notes here I wrote. Uh, about 1442 A.D., no. Yeah, well, that it was affirmed then at the Ecumenical Council of Florence. And by the way, I don't know all this. I've been researching it to answer your question. This isn't all coming off the top of my head. Uh, let's see. Pope St. Siricius approved the canon or the books that, that, that were established earlier in 384 and 399 A.D. And then uh, at the Ecumenical Council of Florence, again affirmed the list of inspired books in 442 A.D., which was about 100 years before the Council of Trent when the Bible was at a canon what was officially established. I believe that's an answer, or the answer, or close to an answer. And then, as I stated earlier, uh, why the books were removed. And then it may go deeper than that, but I think that's kind of a simplified version. But that's my answer as to why we have more books than Protestant Bibles, and why they were removed. Thanks, Joe, and thanks for your show. I really enjoy it, and I appreciate everything you do. Thank you. We've arrived at Passion Sunday, and indeed, we encounter a God who is passionately in love with us, so in love that he will endure humiliations and even death for our sake. What will we give him in return? 
Join me for a look at this Sunday's readings next on Breaking the Bread. Jesus says in this Sunday's Gospel, All this has come to pass, that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Indeed, we have reached the climax of the liturgical year, the highest peak of salvation history, when all that has been anticipated and promised is to be fulfilled. By the close of this Sunday's long Gospel, the work of our redemption will have been accomplished. The new covenant will be written in the blood of Jesus, broken body, hanging on the cross, at the place of the skull. In his passion, Jesus is counted among the wicked, just as Isaiah foretold. He is revealed definitively as the suffering servant the prophet announced, the long-awaited Messiah whose words of obedience and faith ring out in our first reading and psalm this Sunday. The taunts and torments we hear in these two readings punctuate the gospel as Jesus is beaten and mocked, as his hands and feet are pierced, as enemies gamble for his clothes, and as his enemies dare him to prove his divinity by saving himself from suffering. But he remains faithful to God's will to the very end. He does not turn back in his trial. He gives himself freely to his torturers, confident that, as he foretells in our first reading, the Lord God is my help, I shall not be put to shame. Destined to sin and death as children of Adam's disobedience, we have been set free for holiness and life by Christ's perfect obedience to the Father's will. This is why God greatly exalted him. This is why we have salvation in his name. Following his example of humble obedience in the trials of our lives, we know we will never be forsaken. We know, just as the centurion today, that truly this is the Son of God. This is Scott Hahn for Breaking the Bread. Breaking the Bread is a production of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. If you'd like to receive written copies of Dr. Hahn's reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, you can contact us by email at staff at salvationhistory.com or call us at 740-264-9535. That's 740-264-9535. Well, it's been another one of those very busy weeks here during Lent, and we're now getting down to the end. And so I thought we would take a little bit of a break from interviewing and just talk about what's coming up. You know, this week we're facing Palm Sunday. And I thought we'd just talk about that a little bit today. And then next week, I'd like to really talk about the Passion. And specifically, I think the seven last sayings of Jesus Christ. Part of my Lenten sacrifice was to listen to a tape set by Dr. Scott Hahn on the seven last sayings. I love this particular tape set from him. Because it's not just teaching, it's really kind of him preaching. And it's powerful stuff. So I've really been inspired by this. And I've listened to it several times during Lent. You know, this was part of my Lenten sacrifice to listen to it over and over again. To sort of meditate on these seven sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I thought we'd talk about that next week on the podcast. But before we get into Palm Sunday, I have some feedback I'd love to share with you. 
And so I've gotten many emails this last week. I've received even more, you know, iTunes reviews and uh, even some voicemail feedback that I would really love to share with you. So let's do that first. Hey, Joe. Mike Brown's calling here. I want to give you a shout-out. Hey, I uh, bought a few books from the Catholic store, um, and it wasn't clear to me if I want to buy anything else in the store, if you get credit for that, you know, things that aren't listed on your page. So if maybe you could uh, put some kind of an announcement on the website or let us know somehow. And, um, you know, I was listening to the Tarek Saab series, and I just got through number four tonight. And, you know, he said something that I, I don't think I agree with, that um, angels inhabit time the way that God does, time stands still for them. I don't think that's correct. Um, clearly they're um, created beings. They weren't there at the beginning of time with, you know, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And... Quite frankly, I'm not sure Satan would have rebelled had he been able to see into the future. So that was something that's uh, not a big deal. But And then I had one other thing for you, and I forget. I'm looking at your – oh, I see now that the uh, the gut check banner that we had emailed you about is actually up now. It wasn't up before when I visited your site. So anyway, thanks for being there. Uh, enjoy your podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. Mike, thanks so much for calling and leaving that voicemail feedback. I really appreciate that. And you've also left me a, re- a review on iTunes. Thank you very much for that as well. To address uh, a few of your points, uh, if you want to buy another book that I haven't listed, the best thing you could do is just tell me what the name of the book is, and I'll add it to the store. Because it, if you buy anything on my store, then yes, that though that does come in, uh, to support this podcast. If you buy a book outside on CatholicCompany.com but outside of my store, then no, I don't get any credit for that. So if you have a particular book in mind, let me know. I'll add it to the store, and, and, and that will benefit both of us. So thank you very much for doing that. I really do appreciate that support. That is a real blessing. Also, to, to, to talk about Tarek's comment, you know, I hope to see him this week, actually. I'm going to be in Dallas, Texas this weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday, for the Catholic Answers Second Decade Tour event. Uh, it's going to be Rosalind Moss. It's going to be Tim Staples. It's going to be Dr. Ray Garendi and Jerry Usher. We'll all be there. I'm going to be there with the ministry that I work for, which is Fullness of Truth. We have a booth there. And it's going to be in Grapevine, Texas. And uh, I hope to also uh, meet up with Tarek Saab because he lives up there in that area. So he and I are hopefully will, Lord willing, uh, have an opportunity to, uh, to touch base. And you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll ask him about the comment that he made. But I think technically you both are sort of kind of right. Now let me explain. Because it's true that angels do not possess the same orientation towards time as God does. That's true, because God can see all time at the same time. All time is present to God simultaneously. That's not true for angels. That's not true for for human beings either. However, having said that, the Summa Theologica makes it clear that angels are not, they're above corporal time. They're not subject to the same timeline that you and I are subject to. You know, the earth rotating around the sun, which which creates, you know, millennia and years and months and weeks and hours and minutes and seconds, that they're not part of that time frame. So from that respect, they do share somewhat of, of the same nature of time as God, but not fully. 
As far as Satan making a decision as that relates to the future, well, the, the Summa Theologica also addresses that issue as well. And what it says is, we can know the future, just not for certain. And the example that, um, for example, William, uh, Father Most gives us, and I'm going to provide some links for you on the blog for the, the, uh, the rest of the listeners so that they can read some of this. It sounds like you've probably already read some of this yourself, Mike, so uh, you're probably pretty in tune with this. But Father William Most uses the example of a doctor. A doctor looks at the symptoms of his patients and then makes a diagnosis, a prognosis. He makes a forecast into the future. He says, okay, well, I see cold sweats. I see, you know, scratchy throat. I see achiness and, and flu. Or I see, you know, a, a fever at night. I think you're going to come down with a flu in the next couple of days. You know, and he's probably correct. He can't be 100% for certain only God can see for certain all events simultaneously. But because of of the evidence, because of his education, he can make a fairly good guess. Well, see, the, the difference between angels and humans is that angels have the ability to see all sides of a point before making a decision about the point. They can see the issue fully, and then they can make a fully informed decision. See, there is no invincible ignorance for, for angels. Like humans, we can make decisions and say, and then five minutes later go, oh, you know what, I take that back because now I know something I didn't know before, and oh, I take that back. Now I want to make this decision. It doesn't work like that for angels. The angels that chose to, to rebel against God, they made a fully informed decision. Satan knew all points of the issue before making his choice. And then he made his choice, and he cannot go back on it. And that's the key issue. They can't uh, undo what they've already done. They made a fully informed choice. But they do exist in a, in a sort of timeline. And that timeline, as you alluded to, Mike, is once they did not exist, but now they do exist. So there is a progression there. It's just not one that we can fully grasp at this point. We don't have the revelation that tells us the full extent of that nature of time. You see, they, they have a progression of intellectual knowledge. They don't know something, now they do know something. And unlike God who can focus on all things simultaneously, they can really focus on one thing at a time, but they can know it fully. Unlike humans, our intellect does not allow us to do that. But angels have that ability. So I, I'm not sure Tarek was sort of going there with that. I don't think he was really trying to be that specific about it. I think he was just trying to say that they really weren't on the same timeline as we are. And that part is true. But I think you are also very correct in that angels don't share the, the same timeline as God. God sees everything fully at this moment. All time is present to God now. Which is why we know that the cross on Calvary is present in the same thing as the holy uh, sacrifice of the Eucharist at Mass. Everywhere in the world every day, every hour of the day. It's this one and the same sacrifice because to God, it's, it's now, it's present. He is the great I am. He is the eternal now. 
So I just thought I'd throw a couple two cents in on that issue, and I really appreciate your feedback on that. And yes, the gut check banner is now correctly working on on the blog, and I appreciate your patience on that. So if you click on that banner when you go to the blog, www.catholichack.com, you will go to the gut check website, but your purchase of that book will go to help support this podcast. And I can tell you, it has been a real blessing to to have support for the podcast. You know, a listener to this podcast has donated funds to pay for these t-shirts that we can now give away as prizes. I was so touched by this generosity. It really did warm my heart. I cannot say, you know, how wonderful that was, how much of a generosity that was. And she did this not in her own name, but she did this in memory of a 12-year-old boy, Michael Penfather, a boy from a local Washington, D.C. Catholic family. This boy was crippled from birth, and he died last month from a very nasty genetic disease. She also did this in honor of her patron saint, St. Martin de Porres. So what a blessing it is to, to have that kind of support. You know, so if you could do me a favor, not only pray for the repose of the soul of Michael Penfather and for the family who have suffered such a great loss of their son and endured the sacrifice of of caring for that child in love for 12 years. So pray for that family. Pray for that boy. Ask St. Martin de Porres for his intercession for that family, for that child, but also pray for this particular listener's generosity to to support the podcast, to try to promote this podcast by giving us the funds we needed to to purchase these t-shirts and send them out as gifts. So I would really appreciate your intercession and your prayers. You're offering it up for the family of God. So thank you very much for that. I also want to ask you to pray for Brian Nugent. He's the guy who won the Catholic Hack t-shirt. He's the guy who dived deep this time and gave us that great answer of why the Catholic Bibles have seven more books than the Protestant Bibles. You know, and Brian... Uh, he was diagnosed with papillary thyroid cancer back in January of 07. And although he's had surgery and he's had the radioactive treatment uh, and his scan did come back as uh, negative, he has to go to another scan this month. And so, he, you know, there's some, you know, anxiety about that. So we would really appreciate if you would pray for Brian, pray for him, that God has cleaned him and healed him of this disease. You know, so many of you have have blessed me by sharing with me the struggles that you have in life. So, you know, it is such a great thing that we have the family of God to pray for one another. St. Paul exhorts us time and time again to pray for one another. Jesus Christ himself says the greatest thing we can do is to love God and then to love each other, our neighbor, as ourself. You know, and to and to lay down our lives for one another, to sacrifice for one another. And the best thing we can do is pray. We start with prayer, and then we can do a lot more than that. But, you know, starting with prayer so, is so critical. So let's do that right now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all praise and all glory be to you, Almighty God and Father. Father, I thank you and I praise you. You alone are holy. You alone are glorious. And I thank you for the gift of being the pencil in your hand, the tool that you use, the donkey that you are riding today. Oh God, have mercy upon my soul. 
Grant me the graces I need to live out my faith, to become a better man than I am today, to be the husband you created me to be, to be the father that you created me to be, to be the man that you created me to be. And I pray for the listeners of this podcast, for Brian. I pray that you've healed him of all his cancer, that you will fill him full of grace, for he is your son and you love him. I pray for Mike, for the graces that he's bestowed upon us by sharing his faith with us. I pray for the listener who supported this podcast with their donation and for that boy. Oh, God, have mercy upon him and his family. I pray for a listener out in Indonesia who struggles right now with her husband who's left the church. God, reinforce her faith because you have called her to the work of the salvation of her husband. By her example, will he see your glory. All praise and glory and honor be to you, almighty God, for you have created this child of yours to do your work. I pray for Roland in San Antonio, who's preparing to take the bar exam, who's going to witness to his faith Christianity in the Catholic Church in the legal field who's about ready to give a talk on this subject so I pray that you inspire him with that I pray O Holy Father for Craig out in Australia who is trying to show the faith through his actions through his words, through his deeds through his prayer life and his walking with Christ to his wife may the Holy Spirit draw her home to the Holy Catholic Church. I pray, O Holy Father, for Kevin in Florida, who struggled many years with the sins of the flesh and is now trying to repent and make right and walk the path to walk with Christ. O Heavenly Father, O Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior, O Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever, may you have mercy on Kevin. May you have mercy on all the listeners of this podcast. O come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in us the fire of thy love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I would also like to share with you an email from Kevin. You know, from Florida. He just wrote in, brand new listener to the podcast. He says, Joe, I want to thank you for this important podcast. I discovered it recently browsing the new SQPN editions and started listening at episode 40 with Christopher West. It's funny how God answers prayers. Recently, I prayed for a holy male influence to come into my life. And I thought maybe it was our new pastor or maybe it was this new guy at work. But then it hit me. After listening to your podcast that I have found it with a Catholic hack. I was looking for a bit more depth in Catholic podcasts when I found you. The Christopher West interview and the Tarek Saab gut check is what I needed to hear. Like many of us, for years I pursued the self-indulgent lifestyle of chasing girls and the next party without finding true happiness. After a long journey, and by the grace of God, I've settled down. I'm married and have an eight-year-old girl. 
I love learning the truth about my faith and appreciate the great guests you have on the podcast. Many of them have played a role in my reversion to the Catholic Church. I'll end on with one request. If you encounter any guests that can give us dads with girls any special insight and practical information into how we can raise up strong and pure women in this world, I would be most grateful to hear it. Keep up the great work. Thank you for praying for us and know that you are in my prayers as well. Peace, Kevin from Florida. Kevin, thank you so much for that. I can't tell you how that touched my heart. To be able to to just be a part of your journey. I'm not worthy of that, man. What a blessing for that. And I can tell you, we do have some things coming your way to address that very issue that you asked for. I have a daughter myself. I spent 20 plus years addicted to pornography. I know what you're going through, Kevin. I've been there. I'm struggling with the psychological damage every day. And so, you know, recently I interviewed a guy named Mickey Addison. He's a career military officer, and he wrote an article called Somebody's Little Girl for CatholicExchange.com. Mickey and I spent an hour talking on the phone over the weekend, and I'm going to be sharing that with you in the next couple of weeks. I'm also planning an interview with Steve Wood. Now, Steve Wood is he's a wonderful resource. He's got the carpenter's shop on EWTN, and I'll be sure to ask him about some specific insights that he can share with us to teach us how to raise these great women for God. And so keep an eye out for that. You know, we've received many new uh, reviews on iTunes this last week and a half, and I can't thank you enough. This is really such a blessing for you to do this. This is getting a Catholic podcast pushed way up in the iTunes store. You know, we're on page two. We need to be on page one, right there next to the Rosary Army, right there next to, next to Father Roderick and the Daily Breakfast. Why? Because we're up against, we're behind the ball. We're up against the wall. We have all these Protestant podcasts out there, and we need to get more Catholic choices out there for many more people to see. And the only way that can happen is if you leave reviews on iTunes and you get more people to subscribe to this podcast through iTunes. This week, Caveman K left a a review. It says, I recommended this podcast especially for men struggling to live their Catholic faith in a secular, over-sexualized world. Joe challenges men to be real men in the eyes of God and gives them the inspiration and information that they need to help live out their faith. This podcast has been a blessing to me. Thanks, Joe. R.S. Smart, or R. Smart, rather. It's so hard to read some of these names, but I'm sorry. I don't mean to get them wrong. It's just, that's me. R. Smart says, The podcast is wonderful. It is insightful and informative. Every episode you will learn something new or something you forgot. The interviews are great. Nothing like podcasting in a parking lot. Thank you very much for that. And then... Desert Dweller, <laughs> or that's probably Desert Dweller, huh? Yeah, well, there you go. Joe, what can I say? I've been praying for a solid influence that could help me in my life. And I saw your podcast and decided right then to describe to it. I haven't looked back since. I've been, we- I've been wavering for a while about my faith until just recently. I was given the opportunity to go to a conference, and then the Holy Spirit was ignited in me. I needed more information to listen to, and that's when I found your podcast on iTunes. I listen to it when I can, which is with four kids, my wife, and being in school, there isn't a whole lot of time for myself. But I make sure that I have the time to listen every day. Thank you for your ministry. 
It really is an inspirational tool for me to use in my walk of faith. Thank you again. Matthew Martin, Gilbert, Arizona. Thank you, Matthew, for that. So you can you can see that it's really working out. It's really a blessing to see this many reviews on iTunes. I just can't thank you enough. It's really, I'm not worthy of any of it. And uh, it really is an act of your evangelization to share this podcast with others. So thank you very much for that. Well, I've jabbered on long enough and we have got to spend at least the next couple of minutes. (laughs) Realistically, it's probably going to be the next several minutes talking about Palm Sunday, about Hosanna in the highest and the deep scriptural roots we have for this in the Old Testament. So, without further ado, let's roll up our sleeves, and let's dive deep, and let's get into the truth about Jesus riding a mule. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! This school when I sit, even just a little bit, I get hit with the power that made the veil in the temple split. When I submit, fall on the floor and the door. let us begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit grace to you and peace from our Lord and God our Savior Jesus Christ I always like to start with the Catechism of the Catholic Church when we're talking about these subjects. And today we're talking about Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, kicking us off for Holy Week and setting us you know, on the, the path to Calvary. In paragraph 559 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says, How will Jerusalem welcome her Messiah? Although Jesus had always refused popular attempts to make him king, he chooses the time and prepares the details for his messianic entry into the city of his father David. Acclaimed as son of David, as the one who brings salvation, Hosanna means save or give salvation. The king of glory enters his city riding on an ass. Jesus conquers the daughter of Zion, a figure of his church, neither by ruse nor by violence, but by the humility that bears witness to the truth. And so the subjects of his kingdom on that day are children and God's poor who acclaim him as had the angels when they announced him to the shepherds. Their acclamation, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord, is taken up by the church in the Sanctus of the Eucharistic Liturgy that introduces the memorial of the Lord's Passover. In paragraph 560 it says, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem manifested the coming of the kingdom that the King Messiah was going to accomplish by the Passover of his death and resurrection. It is with the celebration of that entry on Palm Sunday that the church's liturgy solemnly opens Holy Week. 
you know, this particular paragraph, 559, really gives us some really crucial keys, some clues here to get us started on this path. You know, in the very first sentence, it, it tells us that Jerusalem welcomed him as the Messiah. So we can, we can go down the path of what the Messiah was all about. What were the Jews looking for in a Messiah? We can also talk of this, the, the king and the Messiah together, yes, but also the son of the king, the son of David. And where does that lead us? What can we what can we get out of that? And you know, and I always say on this podcast, the, the best thing we can do when it comes to reading scripture is to stop reading the Bible like it's a like it's a twenty first century novel. Like we're a bunch of twenty first century Americans reading this book. We have to read this book like it's like we're first century Jews. That's the trick. Because there are keys here when you read the gospel messages, when you read the gospel passages that would take us back in time, back to the Old Testament. And that's what we want to get to today. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 12, or starting in verse 12 and, and following, it says, The next day a great crowd who had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it was written, Fear not, daughter Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand this at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that this had been written of him and had been done to him. You see, that's a pretty, it's a pretty crucial point there. You know, the issue over the palms, that should lead us somewhere. The issue of the donkey, that should lead us somewhere. Also, we need to go back into the Old Testament and pull out these, the context of these clues so that we can fully understand what we're trying, what we're being told, what we're trying to comprehend in the gospel. You see, that's the trick of the gospel. The authors of the gospels and, and the New Testament Reference the Old Testament to give us the context. And these are red flags to first century Jews. They would read that and go, Fear not, daughter Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. you got to be kidding me. We all know what that is. That's Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9. Although they didn't have chapter and verse in the first century in any of the Old Testament, that was added much, much later, but... You know what I'm saying. Let's go back to Zechariah in chapter 9. Let's start at verse 8, though. It says, I will encamp by my house as a guard that none may pass to and fro. No oppressor shall pass over them again. For now I have regard for their affliction. Rejoice heartily, O daughter Zion. Shout for joy, O daughter Jerusalem. See, your king shall come to you. A just savior is he, meek and riding on an ass, on a colt, the fowl of an ass. Verse 10, he shall banish the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The warrior's bow shall be banished and he shall proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. You see, this is a very good reference for us. Why? Because the Jews 
all through Jesus's ministry were looking for a warrior king. They wanted someone to come and kick out the Romans, to kick out the bad priests, to set up the kingdom, to restore the kingdom of David. That's what they were expecting. They were expecting a son of David to come like a warrior on his white stallion with his huge sword like William Wallace, kicking out the English out of Scotland. They wanted the same thing, only they wanted it there in Jerusalem. But see, the prophet here in Zechariah is telling us he's not coming like a warrior. He's coming in humility. He's going to be meek. He's going to be riding not on a white stallion, but on a donkey. He's not going to create war, but he's going to proclaim peace to the nations. And his kingdom will be from sea to sea and rivers to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. And that's why he came in humility. So where do the branches come from and what is their significance? How did this tie in? Well, the branches come from a Jewish festival. We can read about this in places like Leviticus and 2 Maccabees. In 2 Maccabees, uh, let's see, chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, the Jews celebrated joyfully for eight days as on the Feast of Booths, remembering how a little while before they had spent the Feast of Booths living like wild animals in caves on the mountains. Verse 7, carrying rods entwined with leaves, green branches and palms. They sang hymns of grateful praise to him who had brought about the purification of his own place. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's purifying the, the temple. He's tearing the temple down and rebuilding it. Is it the physical building in Jerusalem? No, because God no longer inhabited that space. The ark was no longer there. Since the, the exportation of the Jews to Babylon, the ark was taken out, so the presence of God wasn't physically there. Where is God physically present? Where is he really and truly present? In Christ Jesus, the, the manifestation of God on earth in flesh, in his heart, in his soul, in his very being, the second person of the Trinity. And so... He was the new temple. And so he was bringing about a purification of his kingdom and of his place, just like in 2 Maccabees. We can also read about this in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 40. It says, On the first day you are to take choice fruit of or from the trees and palm, fawns, leafy branches, and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You know, I love the reference of the choice fruit from the trees. Just like in the Garden of Eden, you know, they were told, or Adam was told not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And yet he does anyway, and he brings about the fall of mankind. And Christ Jesus undo, does all that because he hangs on the tree of life and he becomes the fruit of the womb, the bread come down from heaven, the true manna that we must eat if we are to have life within us. And if he's going to raise us up on the last day, then we must make our way to the cross and eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. That's the Eucharist, and that's exactly what we do. But see, he came to bring peace, and that peace was heralded by his triumphal entry into Jerusalem 
on the donkey, just as Zechariah proclaimed it would happen, not the warrior that would that would bring about the corporal earthbound sort of kingdom. No, the man of peace, the true prophet, the true Messiah, who would bring about peace and a brand new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, not just on earth, but the kingdom of heaven, of all creation. It's a different kind of kingdom. And the Jews were thinking earthly instead of heavenly. And that's where they got, they got off track. But those palm branches were a sign that this is what they would expect. And, and they would wave these palm branches, you know, in front of kings. How do we know? Well, you know what? We can go and check out 1 Kings. We can read the account of how King Solomon was put into power through these these palm branches in verse 37 first kings chapter 1 actually verse 37 as the lord has been with you as the lord has been with your royal majesty so may he be with solomon and exalt his throne even more than that of my lord king david so Zodak the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehodiah, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down, and mounting Solomon on King David's mule, escorted him to Gehon. Then Zodak the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. They blew the horn, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! Then all the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing, so much as to split open the earth with their shouting. This huge crowd is shouting and carrying on and putting him on on the mule and and they're just it's this huge you know feast and he's being anointed king just like we see with Jesus coming in on the donkey you know as a king just like King Solomon only more so and Jesus even tells us that you know the Queen of Sheba came out to see the wise man, King Solomon, and now there's one wiser than he here with you. That's Jesus Christ. So the king, King Solomon, was on a mule being anointed the king. Well, even a better king now we have in Jesus on, on the back of a, of a donkey being brought in with crowds shouting for joy, singing Hosanna in the highest. If we now look at the, the same account in Mark's gospel, chapter 11 verses 8 through 10 it says and many spread their garments on the road and others spread their leafy branches which they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed cried out hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the kingdom of our father david that is coming hosanna in the highest you know what's cool about this is the whole laying the garments in on the road before Jesus. This is yet another Old Testament reference. If we go now to 2 Kings, and I think it's chapter 9, and around 11 to 14, you'll see there how, um, what's it say? Starting in around verse 12, it says, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. And he's speaking of uh, Jehu there. In verse 13 it says, Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed Jehu is king. So that's a reference to the kingship of Christ. 
pulled right out of the Old Testament and used there in the New to show that Jesus is king. We see that. Why? Because garments are being laid down in front of him. Palm branches are being waved in the air. He's riding in on a donkey to bring peace. These are the prophets telling us from the Old Testament that this is the Messiah. Now let's look at Luke's gospel real, real quick. Chapter 19, starting at verse 28. And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village opposite, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their garments on the colt, they set Jesus upon it. And as he rode along, they spread their garments on the on the road. I just want to stop there because I want to reiterate that verse 35 says, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their garments on the colt, they set Jesus upon it. They set Jesus upon it. Who set Solomon on his colt? It was a priest. It was a prophet. Who are they here? They are the disciples. They are priests, they are prophets too, but they are mostly priests. Just like in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 37 and so forth, we see that Zodak, the priest, set Solomon on, on the cult. And so we see here the new priest, and I've already done a podcast on the priesthood of the disciples, and you should check that out. But uh, that's yet another cool little reference to that moving on in verse 36 and as he rode along they spread their garments on the road as we just talked about and as he was now drawing near at the descent of the mount of olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise god with loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees and the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, this is also very important. The Pharisees were telling him, You need to rebuke, rebuke them for, for calling you king, for laying down their garments, for waving the palm branches, for shouting with joy and calling you know, that you are the king, the man who comes in the name of the Lord. And he says, No. If they didn't speak, even the stones would cry out. Now, where where can we go for a reference to that? Well, let's turn back to Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, Because you despoiled many peoples, all the rest of the nations shall despoil you. Because of men's bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the city, and to all who dwell in it, woe to him who pursues evil gain for his household, setting his nest on high to escape rich, uh, the, to escape the reach of misfortune. You have devised shame for your household, cutting off many peoples, forfeiting your own life. For the stone in the wall shall cry out, and the beam in the woodwork shall answer it. Woe to him who builds a city of bloodshed and establishes a town of wickedness. 
This is the reference Jesus is making to those Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees. Even the stones will cry out because the truth cannot be held back. It must be revealed. And that's exactly what's going on. So yet another reference, another Old Testament context that we can go to, to pull out and understand what's going on before us. We must see the clues, the evidence, like CSI detectives is right there before us. The donkey, a pure donkey at that, one that nobody's ridden on. It's purified like the womb of our Blessed Mother, bearing forth Theotokos, bearing God to the world. And this cult is bringing forth our Messiah into the new city. So let's look at the signs. Must be the son of David. And you know, in Psalm 89, you start in verse 19, go to verse 37. It's a wonderful passage. It's a wonderful psalm because we see how in that psalm that God makes this promise to us that the son of David will, will, will maintain the throne. He's making a covenant and he will keep his promises. And you should read that. Psalm 89 verses 19 through 37. Read that. God is swearing an oath there and he's going to keep his promise. And, and so we see that it must be a son of David. It must be a king from the line and the lineage of David. And Jesus fulfills that. And we're told that in the Annunciation episode in St. Luke's Gospel when the angel comes to visit our Blessed Lady and says that she will bear a son and he will inherit the king, the kingdom of his father David. He is the Son of God, and yet He's still the Son of David. So that is fulfilled. We see the garments being laid on the street before them, just like they did for that king in 2 Kings. They laid the garments on the road, and He walked over them, and they proclaimed Him king, and they shouted for joy. Just like Solomon riding on his king, being put on, riding on his donkey, being put on that donkey by a priest, being anointed king as they shout for joy. The palm branches waving in front of them as, they, as the Jews celebrate their festival and singing Hosanna in the highest from Psalm 119. We see this, you know, in a commentary I have from, from the St. Ignatius Bible study series. It says, Hosanna, a Hebrew acclamation meaning save us, blessed name of the Lord, an, ex an excerpt from Psalm 118.26 of the Hillel Psalms, customarily sung at Israel's great feast was one great feast. The signs are there. Jesus is the Messiah. The stones are crying out. The accusations are made. The judgment is done. He's come to bring peace. He's come humble on a donkey. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Palm Sunday is pointing us to one place only, the cross, where Jesus will consummate his sacrifice and the Passover meal will become the Eucharistic sacrifice on Calvary, where we will go to the tree of life and we will partake in his flesh. We will become one with our spouse. There, we will partake in his body and his blood. That's where we're going. That's where Palm Sunday leads us. It's the, the beginning of a powerful week. Revelation 7, 9 says, The great multitude in white robes. After this, I looked 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Because why? Because they were bringing in the king. It's powerful stuff. Well, there you have it. That's going to do it for today's podcast, number 48, The Catholic Hack. Thank you so much for all the support, uh, for all the feedback that you have given me. Uh, I really appreciate all that. I want you to reach out to me even more. I want you to send me your voicemail feedback so that I can play that here on the podcast. I want you to leave me posts on my blog, www.catholichack.com. Also, stop by and visit me on the SQPN site. That's www.sqpn.com. I'm going to start posting there as well. I, it's a bit of a learning curve because I've never really used WordPress, and that's where that, that's what that's built on. So bear with me as I try to get the formatting right. I would love to hear from you, seeing some comments posted there as well. Are you in the market for some great Catholic resources? Well, I would truly appreciate it if you would pick them up on the Catholic Hack Bookstore. You can get there by going to www.catholiccompany.com forward slash Catholic Hack. It's all one word. Check that out. Pick up some Catholic Hack uh, resources right there and your funds will go to support not only a Catholic company in the Catholic company, but also this podcast. And I really appreciate that. I also want to see more people picking up Catholic Hack t-shirts. And you can do that right off of my blog, www.catholichack.com. Click on the logo, the, the actual t-shirt picture, and that'll take you to the web store where you can pick up either a Catholic Hack t-shirt or a mug. And when you do, please send me a picture of you wearing that. I really want to post those on the blog. Recently, Rob from Tupelo Catholic Podcast picked up a Catholic Hack t-shirt. Rob, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So please, stop by the blog and do that today. Send me your emails. Send me your feedback. You can catch me on my Facebook group and where I have created an actual group for the Catholic Hack podcast so that I can send you messages and keep you up to date as to what's going on. You can follow me on Twitter. You can uh, get a hold of me in many, many number of ways. So please consider doing that today. Well, I have really enjoyed spending this time with you, and I thank you so much once again for all the reviews on iTunes. Please consider doing that today if you haven't done so already because that's how you can evangelize and share this podcast with the whole world by moving this podcast further up the rankings in iTunes store. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. May God richly bless you. God bless. SQPN, the best in Catholic podcasting.